0: Welcome to The Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and joining me today is Brian Falduto. He is a professional actor, country music singer, songwriter, and ICF-certified life coach. At the age of 11, director Richard Linklater cast Brian Falduto alongside Jack Black in the film School of Rock as Billy, a.k.a. Fancy Pants which is just the best name. Uh but I don't know if you remember if you saw that movie School of Rock with Jack Black, very iconic movie from back in the day. Uh but there is a character, one of the one of the kids in the show, one of the kids in the movie is very sort of like sassy and outspoken. He's got some very iconic lines within the movie. Uh that is Brian. So Brian is that character. He's joining us today. He has a dual degree Uh, graduate in theater performance and arts administration and probably calls himself an alum of Wagner College or Wagner College, depending on how you may pronounce it. Brian also works as a life coach serving primarily the LGBTQ clientele and community. And last year launched the Gay Life Coach podcast, the Gay Man's Self-Help Book Club, and the Gay Man's Mindfulness Collective as a part of his effort to serve and support that community. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We, We dive into deeper understanding of men within the gay community. And the reason why I wanted to have Brian in the podcast was to open a little bit of a, a discourse and a dialogue around what are some of the commonalities that we as men face and experience regardless of our sexual orientation. And what are some of the differences? How can we create a, a bit of a better bridge between understanding what our counterparts, straight or gay, however you identify, and to be able to better understand how to create dialogue and discourse and understanding? And so Brian and I get into some of the some of the shadow of the queer community and what gaming experience, and um, we talk about some of the fears that straight men, we often have, and and what often gets in the way from being able to develop a deeper level of understanding and connection and acceptance for one another. And to really end some of the the wounding and the separation that can sometimes happen within these conversations in these communities. So it's a very real, honest, open conversation about gay men and straight men in the queer community. And um, it's not one that I've necessarily dug into a lot, but we had some fun with it. And Brian offers some really great insight and we kind of just disseminate and dissect so a lot of the similarities. I think that's one of my big takeaways from this conversation is how similar the the sort of pain is that we as men experience, whether we are straight or gay. And I think one of the you know unique things about this conversation is that it really shows that there is maybe less separation when it comes to our experience of not belonging than we may have previously thought. And while the context might look different, the emotional in sort of experiential content is actually quite the same. So that's what I hope that you listen for in this conversation. I'd love to hear your feedback and uh, comments on this dialogue. Don't forget to share this episode with somebody that you know will enjoy this conversation. And don't forget to leave a rating and review. It goes a long way. Thank you so much to the people recently that left some uh, so shout outs. And I just wanted to celebrate, we're number 24 in Canada for relationship podcasts, So we are climbing the ladder and we're in, the, we, I think recently we're in the top 50 for relationship podcasts in America, which is pretty damn crazy. So thank you, thank you, thank you for showing up, for listening to this podcast, for sharing it with your friends and your family members and your community. Um, please continue to do so because that's how more people tune into this show. So, without any further delay, please welcome Mr. Brian Falduto. Hey, I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. I think this is going to be a great conversation, fun, I can already tell just by your personality and who you are and doing a little bit of online stalking, you know, beforehand to understand what I, what we were what we were about to get into. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great convo. So, um. Before we dig into the meat and potatoes of it, as the saying goes, which is a very strange saying, like the meat and potatoes of things. Yeah. I guess they really leave vegetarians out of there. I guess. Right. 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 Is that is that not a like, maybe that's not a PC friendly? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not politically correct anymore. Uh, no, it's not. We've it's already not, made an error. I've already made an error. I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've fucked up already. We're like 30 <laughs> seconds into the show, not politically correct already, meat and potatoes with vegetables, of course. Um, so tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made made you, who you are today.
1: It, it was obviously a series of, of things leading up to this, but I remember sort of the moment where I had, dare I call it a tiny awakening. It feels like a dramatic term for what I went through, but I was in, it was my first time ever living away from home. I grew up in Jersey and I currently live in New York and I've always lived in New York or New Jersey. And I was traveling to LA. I was there for pilot season and I was doing a project and um, I was spending, I didn't know anyone in town. And when you travel, you open new neural pathways. Right. And um, I was introducing myself to people as a completely new person for the first time in as long as I can remember, like consistently. Right. And I feel like when you do that, you start to ask yourself, well, who am I, who am I introducing to these people? Right. And, I also joined a new acting studio during that time as I mentioned I was there for a project. There was just a ton of new experiences plus I was recovering from some heartache back in New York. So there's just a ton going on and I remember going for a hike one day, a very long hike. It was a little bit of just an aha moment. It was uh it was sort of a moment where I stopped playing the victim to a lot of what I felt was my situation and I was like I'm going to like really invest in taking responsibility for my own happiness. And I, I, it was a very powerful hike because I remember ever since that hike, I, I it often. It's also the hike that I was like, go big or go home. I'm also going to maybe become a life coach and bring this conversation to other people as well. Because I think one of the things I realized when I came to that realization is that, um, I, I felt a little bit like, why did it take me so long to get to this point? You know? And I, I wanted to help other people get there faster. So it was a, it was, a, it was a big aha moment that sort of gave me a little insight and also gave me a little bit of a mission, you know, Mm. were there psychedelics involved?
0: (laughs) There actually
1: wasn't. I wish, right. Um, I recently tried some psychedelics and, um, that was also, I also had a beautiful moment there. I remember I, we were in a cabin along like the Adirondack river and I remember stepping outside of the cabin, um, by myself. And I just went down to the river for like 25 minutes and I just cried. For 25 minutes, but a really beautiful cry where I was just like, why do you give yourself such a hard time all the time? You're doing like a great job. Stop, <laughs> stop giving yourself such a hard time. It was this really beautifully compassionate moment with myself. Wonderful. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Well, not to get veer off topic too much, because I think, it,
0: you know, the psychedelic realm is something that we could, we could go down. Very uh, easily. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very easy. I feel like that's all the not all, all their age today, but that's, that's not what we're here to talk about necessarily. I am curious, though, um, you know, one of the things that I was interested in just connecting with you about a little bit, you know, having been in the sort of limelight in film, in Hollywood at such a young age. And, you know, I read off your bio at the beginning of the show. So people have a little bit of context. But I remember watching School of Rock and I remember seeing your character and I remember watching that movie. And it was, I mean, such an iconic, such an iconic film for that time. And so I was kind of curious to get your perspective, because I've had a few people on the show, uh, like Leanne Rhimes and a few other actors who had fame and success at such a young age. And what I've noticed is that everyone's experience of that is actually quite different. Mm. I did not, I have not had that. I was, <laughs> I was a, I was a very average person at, at the age of 12. And so, um, so I was curious to get your perspective because you, you also had this very unique experience of your sexuality being very connected to your fame at such a young age. And so tell us a little bit about what that was like.
1: Yeah, um, as far as just, you know, you mentioned Leanne anne and just like people's uh, relationship to success after a striking success so young, I would say it really screws you over. <laughs> um, it, it's, you know, School of Rock was my second professional audition ever. Um, wow. So I kind of thought that I was God's gift to mankind for a little while there. And then, as you mentioned, the role was heavily tied to sexuality. Honestly, not, I don't think very intentionally, but that's, It was a different role. It was an eccentric role. It was a flamboyant, sassy kid, right, that a lot of people fell in love with. But those people who weren't able to fell in love with noticed that it was different and they wanted to put it in a box. And that box was the gay kid. Mm. And I was 11 at the time. So all I knew about being gay was that it was something to be avoided and that something I should be ashamed of. And so this movie that I got cast in that I thought I was God's gift to mankind for, quickly turned into something I was massively ashamed of. And so it was like a very short lived um, thing that was supposed to be a special experience, you know, Um, not a lot of people in the fifth grade are in movies, you know? So it was this, and it's to this, honestly, it's a battle to this day. Just this past week, there was like my meme that's never ending for 18 years now went viral on like a tweet or something. I think it's up to like, however many, whatever. And, um, you know, people, there's such a, I don't ever read the comments, but I actually did this week for some reason. And, um, people are writing like icon or king of the gays or, or something not as nice. And then here I am just trying to navigate a normal Tuesday. Right. And there's this, like, there's this like flux of things. And I'm in the midst of like trying to get projects going and talking to clients and trying to detach from different ideas of success and do my own healing. And, yeah, I mean, I don't mean to be dramatic, but that that one experience I had when I was younger has been like heavily tied to like every step of my destruction and then every step of my healing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the curious part for me is, you know, we we all have we all form a, a deep quality, a deep sense of our identity and at a young age and whether we have trauma or we have these wonderful experiences that then sort of coalesce and, and coagulate and, and and bring together what our identity is and become such a, a front and staple part of our identity, to then move beyond that and, and start to evolve into a different person who has different interests can be quite challenging. And it's it's why people struggle to you know get past abuses or to get past those types of confrontations that they've had in their youth. So I'm I'm kind of curious just to go a little bit further into that. Like, what was a little bit of your journey in? What's the word that I would use
1: there? Like, unbecoming who people knew you as. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, Connor. It's it's uh, as I mentioned, it's a never it's, it's so far it's a never ending uh, battle, right? Even just like you know, I I was very busy when I was younger. I did a lot of other gigs outside of School of Rock too that weren't as as uh as big, right? But I was a very busy child actor, and then all I knew was busyness, right? So I went straight into high school where I was I was still doing theater on the side, a bunch of like regional credits and whatnot. I was a double major in college. These days, the question is, who am I if I'm not a person who's doing a thousand things at once? That's that's a big. Identity thing that I get, keep getting lost in lately, right? Because it's like I'm trying to find the purest intention behind what I am doing, and that's really hard to do. And when, when you're in the midst of busyness, there's a lot of pausing involved in that. I've never really known pause up until the last several years, right? So it's a, uh, it's it's tough work. Um, and then yeah, there's weeks like this where I'm I'm trying to really from the ground up, just honor what I want from an authentic level. And then, you know, people are kindly writing like icon on as a comment on this thing. And then I'm like, it, it's hard not to either get, get fueled by or attached to that in some way. You know, it's, it's, it's very, it's very interesting. I hope I answered your question. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you, you definitely tackled it. I, I think the the part for me that is, maybe intriguing from the work, from the work that I do with guys is, is understanding like where your sexuality fit into that picture, because to, to have that at such a young age and like, had you, had you come out at that point,
1: like where, where was your sexual identity at, at that age? I didn't even know what being gay was. I just, uh, I think that's, that's sort of the beauty of the character, right? Is that we got to capture on screen this, this, kid who was just being himself at like a really pure level. And then as soon as the film came out, it's sort of like a curtain was drawn on my life. You know, there there's documentation of me at my most authentic. And then I spent the rest of my life trying not to stand out, you know, because I kind of learned from standing out that you can get really made fun of for it. And then now I'm, I'm trying to undo all of the hiding or the separating from myself. Right. So it's, um and trying to get back to a sense of self. I didn't come out until senior year of college and only cause I like fell in love with this guy. So it was, um it was not like, it, there still wasn't much thought behind it. And that's kind of the mission of my work a lot these days is because when people come out, there's a lot of circumstances generally going into that decision or, There's a lot going on at the time. And then all of a sudden we're supposed to attend like pride events, right? There's, and pride is such a tricky word, right? And you don't get to flip a switch on 14 years of being separated from yourself. You know, there's work to be done, you know, and there's an eagerness to embrace the word pride. And there's an eagerness to be proud because you've never been proud of who you are. And so I don't think people always want to enter like that tough conversation where you're like. What are all these feelings and who am I and blah, 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 blah? Um, I know I certainly didn't. I was avoidant in a lot of my behavior patterns and I uh, toxic relationship after toxic relationship just so that I could like find myself and other people, for example. And so, because I'm so aware of how far we can get from that type of work, my goal is to kind of make that conversation more accessible to gay guys in like a really friendly format. You know, I'm young. I, I ask these questions, I think because of like the intensity of my journey, <laughs> I started to ask these questions like in my mid-20s. I know a lot of gay guys who don't ask themselves these questions until they're in their like 40s, you know? And so I'm trying to just use my platform a little bit to to see what I can do to get the conversation moving, you know? Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's good. I think that gives some some good context. And, you know, I appreciate you sharing the journey because I think in many ways, there's like, there's a very clear demarcation line there you know of, yeah. of being able to own that part but then i think one of the things that you pointed to that's very important is that like there's a lot of work to be done and like how did you say it? it's like i spent 14 years separated from myself yeah i spent 14 years separated from myself and i think that's a beautiful articulation of what i think that's so relatable right regardless of sexuality i think many people spend years, sometimes decades separated from themselves. And, you know, whether it's hiding the the truth of their sexuality, or, you know, affairs that are taking place, or um, separated from the truth of what they want to be doing in the world, right, a sense of purpose and meaning. I mean, it's just, that's such a human experience across the board. And I love the way that you articulated it. So, all right, well, let's, let's talk a little bit. I think one of the things that I really was I had some curiosity about was getting your perspective on maybe some of the the differences and distinctions between how straight men gay men experience mental health because there's a lot of there's a lot of narratives that straight men have to overcome in order to enter into any type Mm -hmm. of self-help personal development therapeutic space and uh, I'm curious what those obstacles are that you see that the gay men face. Are they similar? Are they different? Where does it deviate? And how do we start to bridge the the conversation and the gap between one another to be able to support one another? So I know I asked maybe three or four questions in there, but we'll start with the first one about the differences between uh, between the two that you've seen.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you can let me know because, you know, I, I'm not on the hetero side of things. I I do work with hetero clients from time to time, but it's um I'm primarily just a, a huge witness to the the queer experience. And I would agree that men in general have a hard time maybe sitting and feeling or in tough conversation. And I like gay guys are guys, you know, so it's like um there's that element. And then I think on top of it, a lot of folks within the queer community, from my viewpoint, uh, blame gay culture a lot for like the work seems pointless because there's a lot of stigma about gay culture, body image. Everyone's got to have the perfect body, right? Um, because of our relationship with shame growing up, we come out of the closet and there's this desperate need to prove ourselves in our careers and our finances. There's this, I guess this, this could be a sweeping statement amongst men in general, but it's like how many relationships can you rack up or how many, um, guys can you have, have sex with? And I think what happens is we just, we swing the pendulum and it's a separation from yourself, but in a different direction. It's like, what, for me, it was very like, what is now that I'm gay, what does that mean? What is a gay guy supposed to do? It was almost like, because I don't have any sense of self, it's like, now that I'm out, what am I meant to do as a gay man? And that, I think the ultimate feat would be like, finding someone who loves me, right? And like settling down with a partner. And I think because of all the pressure I put on that. That's why I was like constantly searching for myself and other people. Right. But the tricky thing is that validation outside of yourself never ends up being enough. Right. So it's, um, yeah, I, a little bit of like a snowball effect with my answer, but I feel like, um, I feel like that's sort of what I would say is the, the, one of the issues is that gay guards are like, what's the point? Even if we do all this work on ourselves, no one's gonna, no one's going to stop and pause and pay attention or notice me because there is so much toxicity within gay culture, right? And then I would I would disagree because, you know, I have, at this point, I have almost 500 members in my mindfulness collective, which is a healing group for gay men. So that right there are numbers proving that there are a lot of people who... Who are desperate for authentic connection on like a a really pure level and aren't just looking to go to the club and and throw back drinks and and talk about RuPaul's Drag Race? They want to like you know they want to they want to have real conversation. I was talking about this with my friend the other day. Like a lot of friends don't have real conversation. It's it's mm. you, they're not sitting down and like talking to one another. And I would say you can tell me if I'm wrong, but that's that's got to be a theme amongst guys.
0: Yeah, I think it's certainly a theme amongst men um, blanket, you know, just sort of in general, I think one of the things that I've certainly noticed within the, the, the number of gay men that I have that are very close friends in my life is that the, and one of the challenges that they're constantly talking about is finding a level of, of commitment Mm -hmm. within their lives and a closeness and an intimacy that most of them are craving, but can't really seem to, to find. And that's not saying that it's not there, but I think that the What they generally talk about is like the hookup culture is quite quite large, and which I totally get because I think it's like you know taking the (laughs) the limiter off, right? It's like when you know because women are oftentimes like the not not gatekeepers, but they're like the limiter, right? Mm -hmm. And so to to men's sexuality, oftentimes to make sure that like we're in check a little bit, (laughs) that we're not just like you know running rampant. And I think from you know some of the conversations that i've had with the men in my life who are in 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 the queer community that's one of the challenges that they talk about that i think conceptually on the outside as a straight man i'm like well what's the problem like you're you're getting to have as much sex as you fucking want all the time (laughs) everywhere you like everywhere you go wherever you want with whoever you want like it's just it's like unlimited and i remember having a conversation with my friend in vancouver and he's like no no like that gets tiring. Mm. You get exhausted by that, and you want intimacy and love and connection and closeness. Mm-hmm. But there's there's um, maybe the culture is is similar in a way to heterosexual men, right, to straight men, where there is a lack of wanting to go into some of these things that would result in commitment, that would result in that intimacy that most of us as men are, are craving and looking for. Mm. So, what, what's your what's your thought on that? Is that am, am I on um, point there, like, is there, is there things that that you would change or alter about the community?
1: No, I, I I wouldn't change or alter anything. A lot of a lot of the conversation I have, you know, a lot of gays want to generalize about gay culture and then use that as an excuse to not do mm. the work to be able to be intimate, like with themselves or with other people. And my argument against that is usually just that all these separations from self is a protective tendency. So like everyone is hiding some sort of level of vulnerability where they where they really do want the same thing that you want. They just don't have access to it, you know? And do and- you, I'm just curious, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, do
0: you think that that is is it a gay thing? Is it a part of the queer community or is that like a byproduct of being a man in some way? Because I think when I, when I hear you saying that I can feel that there's something very true about how we as straight men also show up, that there's a, there's a quality of wanting to avoid vulnerability, Mm -hmm. you know, and it seems like it's very similar on both sides, that there is that resistance towards vulnerability and wanting to protect ourselves from, whatever it is, right? Looking a certain way or being hurt in some capacity. So do you feel like those things
1: are are similar? I do. Uh, to be honest, the response that I, I do think it's similar, I think you're totally onto something, but I, the response that I have that I hope doesn't get taken the wrong way, but I feel like a lot of the hurt that a lot of gay guys grow up with is the result of their relationship to straight men growing up. Hmm. Tell, yeah. Say more about that. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? I think that there's those are the people we want acceptance from the most you know particularly maybe our father figure right we we we're trying to look to someone who can be a role model for us but we don't see ourselves in them often or there isn't a level of vulnerability reflected back to us and often being gay and closeted growing up is a very isolating experience so we don't have representation of ourselves elsewhere other than you know i think that's why we have Often, and this is generalization, but gay guys often have a a connection to female friends and whatnot. And yeah, there's just a uh, we feel like we were we're desperate for the approval of our straight counterparts, and we're not we're not getting it. I mean, I remember when I was younger, being very observant to the fact that I would, whenever I walked into the room, I would take assessment of how safe I felt, like, and that would usually depend on how many women were in the room, how many straight guys were in the room and like how much i could be myself essentially right because i think because straight guys do have an issue with being vulnerable and open sometimes when they see something that's different than them it's easy to to turn all like attention towards that in a way of isolating it from themselves so that they don't have to deal with maybe some of their own stuff does that does that ring true at all for you
0: yeah i mean i, I think that anything that's going to confront our vault of vulnerability as men, I think is going to often be be something that we'll want to avoid. And I mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I talk a lot about how we as straight men have relationships that are predicated off of confrontation, but also primarily it's it's built off of competition. Mm-hmm. That when you see straight men interacting with each other, what we're normally doing is posturing and assessing and then in some ways competing with each other. Now that competition isn't always bad, mm. but what that competition does is create this part of us that we can't share with those other men. And it, it makes, cause if you're in competition with people, you don't want them to know your weaknesses, mm. right? You don't want them to see where you're weak. And I think when it comes to straight men interacting with the queer community, with gay men specifically, I think that sometimes, what the confrontation is, is that there's a lack of knowing what's acceptable and how to how to interact. It's like, I, what I usually say is, you know, a lot of men struggle to interact with women within the workplace because they don't know how to compete with women. Because how straight men compete with one another is very distinct Mm. and they can't compete with women like that in the same way because it would it would be offensive right Mm. (laughs) like it it wouldn't go over very well and so I think that a lot of men there's there's a discomfort that straight men I think often feel that they don't know how to label they just don't know how to address they don't know what to say Mm. and because what we are taught as straight men within our culture, we're we're taught to just bottle that up, to not let that out, because that's that's still a vulnerability. And so I think that it creates a bit of a, a bridge, um not, not sorry, not a bridge. It creates a bit of a barrier between straight men and gay men to be able to have maybe more meaningful conversations. Is yeah. that does that resonate? Because I think that's, I think that's one of the, and I, and again, I'm coming from a place of, I told you this before on the show, but like, I literally went from working construction <laughs> and building sidewalks with like, you know, <laughs> maybe pretty like hyper misogynistic men to being, you know, in, in music school, getting a degree in music, singing in opera. And I was sort of like the odd man out, right? Mm-hmm. I was like one of the very few straight men that was in that environment. And I really got a, a sort of education in gay culture. And I feel very fortunate for mm-hmm. that because, and I found myself in those spaces sometimes being that uncomfortable guy that was like, I don't know how to interact. Like, yeah. you're hitting on me and I don't know how to take <laughs> that. Like, I just don't know at all what to do with that. And so I think that that's sometimes, and I can't speak for every guy. I think that some guys are less, certainly less um, accepting and uh, more belligerent and, you know, just, ignorant in many ways. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you see, like, what do you, maybe maybe, maybe this is just a gen- general question, but what do you wish that every straight man understood or knew about gay men?
1: Hmm. That's a great question. What is
0: <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to answer it, right? I mean, maybe it's just, I'm just putting it out there, because I think that there is a discrepancy between the two. And we don't, in our cultures often cross the lines that much to seek understanding
1: of one another and i feel i feel like there's a, an opportunity for that i think my gut reaction is like what do you not understand you know it's like mm-hmm. what i totally hear everything you just said and i agree with it i think that there is a there is a discomfort which i think we translate as, am I too much? Right. Which is why we have all these limitations on ourselves. And then when, when the, when the cap comes off, we, we do, we have the glittery tank tops. We are like, screw that. We can be whoever we want to be. Right. Um, I remember getting the message when I was younger that, you know, you're too much right now. Yeah. I mean, it feels, I think my question is like, what my reverse question would be like, what would it take for, what would it take for straight men to to be able to be comfortable with with any level of a gender expressing themselves, essentially, right? Mm. And I think what's really cool about the generation, like, below us, for example, is that because of all the work laid out by previous generations, there is such a lack of construct. And there are—the question, I think, that the younger generation is asking, like, ahead of the game is how— authentically can I show up in this world which is a really cool thing and there aren't as many limitations on how you should behave because you're a certain gender and it's it's really cool you know it's it's so inspiring and I would say that that generation probably has the answer to both of these questions you know what I mean (laughs) they're they're
0: starting they're starting it out for us (laughs) well I think I think one of the I think one of the interesting things is like if I was to attempt to answer that question that I posed you know like what what do, what should, what should straight men know? Or what, you know, about, about the, the gay culture or like, what do you wish that every straight man understood? I think it's almost what I'm hearing this conversation is that the the differences are maybe less far uh, or closer together than we think they are. You know, what I hear you describing is like a lot of gay men not feeling accepted by the male figures in your, in their life, Mm -hmm. you know, by a father figure because of their, you know, sexual orientation or how they identify or whatever the, you know, whatever the, whatever the case may be. And let me tell you, after working with tens of thousands of men from around the world, that is the exact Mm. same wound that so many guys have, right? So many straight men have is like, I don't feel accepted by my father. Now it's different because it's a very different form of non-acceptance, right? It's a very specific uh, and very directed and very poignant example and experience, to not be accepted for your sexual orientation and yeah. how you identify. And I, and I, and I do think that there's a bridge there, right? I think that's where the bridge is, is that there's maybe a closeness there that we have missed out on between gay and straight men, that there's a connection through pain almost,
1: yeah. you know, there's a, there's a connection through the areas of our life where we have felt lost. Yeah. And I would argue that the, it isn't necessarily something that you need to know about us to be okay with with us, I think that a lot of, it's just internal work. And it's like the, the straight guys that I've been able to get along with over the the best over the course of time are people who are just like really comfortable with themselves. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that they would need to be comfortable with a different type of guy. It's the discomfort with someone who's different comes from the fact that you're uncomfortable with yourself. And that's, that goes in both directions. You know what I mean? hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. I would, I would agree a hundred percent
0: with that. I think that the men that I have met that are the most accepting are often the men who are the most accepting of themselves. Yeah, And they're, and they're able to hold that space within themselves. And they've, they've worked on creating a vessel of acceptance within themselves for themselves. And then that
1: permeates out into the world. So yeah, good. Well said. Which I keep, well, which I think relates back to your very original question, which is like, why, like within gay culture, I think the reason that there's a lot of like, just lack of acceptance of each other, we, even within gay culture is because there's a lack of acceptance of self, you know, I think it, it all comes back to that relationship with yourself.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So when you, when you started on this mission to support men in your community, tell me a little bit more about like, what specifically were you wanting to address with them? What, what topics, what challenges were you hoping to tackle, and what solutions do you feel are warranted based on based on
1: those issues? Well, I really believe in mindfulness, and I move from lane to lane of the mindfulness realm. you know there's a the more spiritual aspect of it, there's a bit more of a psychological side to it, there's a bit more of a meditative side to it, but I do think that the answers to a lot of things <laughs> lie in our ability to hold something in our hand and looking look at it rather than identify with the thing, right? Which is how I describe mindfulness. And I think that my issue was always identifying as the person who's too much or the person who's not enough or the person who has something to prove. And the very fact that I'm able to be aware of all those things that I tell myself means that I am not those things. I am the awareness of those things. And I think that because we don't Pause a lot, as I mentioned, within the queer community. There isn't much of a awareness of a lot of these narratives and whether or not they're serving us. I, I think the concept of mindfulness could be groundbreaking within the queer community. I get a little goosey when I talk about it because I do think that, like, as you mentioned, the cap comes off, right? And there is a bit of a haste to like find out who you are once you come out of the closet. But the the beauty is actually in the pause and the and the holding space for everything that's there and damaged and beautiful and protective and um, understanding it. And then when we develop an understanding of all these things, they let go of us.
0: Mm, absolutely. So so you, you're wanting to bring mindfulness into a space where people are maybe requiring a little bit more of a slower pace to be able to reflect, to be able to cultivate a deeper sense of awareness of their own interactions. What, what do you think I think one of one of my mentors talks a lot about how one of the primary wounds is the wound of not belonging, mm. that we as a human species and race are almost amnesic and and forgetful that we that we inherently belong, and we mm-hmm. find all of these reasons and excuses and frameworks and ideologies and religions, not just mm-hmm. to put that out there that that creates Mm non-belonging. And so I'm curious for you, what are, what are some of those um, wounds within the queer community of non-belonging, whether that's with the outside communities or even within the internal community? Oh, it's just,
1: there's, it's, it's, anyone who's curious should by all means read the, the Velvet Rage if they're not familiar with it. It's overcoming the pain of growing up gay in a heterosexual society, right? I do think that there's, there's the lack of belonging from start to finish. You know, you mentioned religion. I had a huge grappling with that growing up and this idea of not belonging. But then I would I would do this thing where I would pray, right? And when you pray, you get this feeling that's almost like you're like, this. God has to be real. I have to be accepted. I can feel something right now. I'm praying. Like there's this, this feeling it has to be real. I get that same feeling now as an adult when I meditate. I think the, the cool part about that is that when I'm meditating, I'm just belonging to my own awareness. I'm belonging to myself and I am holding within myself, all of my thoughts, all of my feelings, all of these sensations, I'm giving them permission on their own and giving them a a space to belong, you know? And it's, um, I think that's for a community that does have rampant, (laughs) not feelings of Mm non-belonging. I think that within that pause that I'm trying to promote essentially and, teach as a practice, you can regain what it feels like to belong, if that makes sense, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. I feel like our missions are, are very aligned, you know, it's like creating mindful men, um, you know, regardless. And I think that's a very noble mission in a world where, I mean, we seem to be inundated with a lack of belonging, but also a lack of acceptance of people who are struggling to belong. And I feel like that's a a universal wound in many ways that many people are struggling to belong. And so to bridge these gaps and to have these conversations and to just break down some of the barriers and walls of confusion and misunderstandings and to sort of welcome people back home into themselves so that they can welcome themselves back into the home of their culture and their community, I think is very, Mm. very potent, very potent work.
1: Yeah, I I think it's so beautiful that you're also bridging the gap. And for example, inviting this the queer lens of this conversation, like into the podcast today. I think that's really cool. I remember, I think uh my assistant emailed y'all and like pitched this. And I was like, I'm a fan of your work. I follow you on Instagram. I, th- I, I think it's important work because I do think that men in general need this mindfulness conversation as well. But I was like, I'm sure a bunch of guys aren't going to want to listen to like the queer angle of this. You know, even myself, a proud, confident gay man who's doing this healing, who is pretty in like developing a, a love for myself and and a comfort with myself, there's still like that stigma that like um mm. that that line is there right and that like we should all stay on our sides of the aisle but it's so beautiful mm. that you were able to like uh create this space you know thanks yeah, thank you well
0: I think I do think that it's I don't know if somebody said it specifically, but it's something along the lines of like we fear what we what we think we don't understand yeah and you know, I think that that's a lot of the fear that is out there in the world is a byproduct of a lack of understanding, a lack of seeing continuity between like, my shit's pretty much the same as yours, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I'm dealing with the same garbage that you are, you know, I didn't feel loved or accepted by my parents either. And like that happens. And, and while it looks different, and the context is different, Pain is pain, you mm-hmm. know, and that that pain is there underneath the surface of the context. And that when we as human beings can remember that, we can be more efficient and effective with one
1: another, I think. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, I'm like, I'm with you. I think a lot of this... um I think I mentioned right before we hopped on this like mainstream wellness conversation, Mm -hmm. this movement that's happening because mindfulness is a little trendy these days. You know, it's like a thing that's, that's catching on. A lot of these self-help books, for example, don't mention the queer community. And because of how many years we do feel cast aside, I think a lot of this messaging, if it's not addressing the queer community directly, we feel like it's not for us. And so Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, like, for example, one of the things I've started to do is I have this book club for gay men where we read self-help books that are written in the mainstream realm. But then we talk about, like, the queer experience with the same information, because I agree that it is all the same. It's, it all comes back to that <laughs> relationship to self, that, that desire for acceptance. It's just, it's just a spin on the conversation, essentially. I
0: think just to close things out, and I mean, you're you're kind of affirming that the book that I'm writing about men is definitely going to need a chapter on on gay men specifically. Oh my God, fine, to, we can
1: collab.
0: Yeah, there we go, there we go. And uh, but I think just to sort of like wrap things up, and and maybe just to to really solidify what we've been talking about. You know, one of the things that I wanted to explore with you was getting a better understanding of what you feel is disowned. You know, with within men within the queer community, because I think a lot of the work that I do with men is around the shadow and is around the parts that we disown, that we avoid, that we hide. And I would love for you to just close out by speaking a little bit about what that looks like within the men within the queer community.
1: Mm. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of uh, voices work as well. And there's um, it's so challenging because... um, these messages you tell yourself are all from different voices over the years. I'm trying to think if I can think of like one voice that we disown. I think that there's a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that the, um, the child can be a really, a really cool access point to getting back to before a lot of the layers the child's voice, because the child was the was the part of us that felt alienated and and felt like it needed to call in the protection, which I often call the shitty committee. And it's, also, it's often the most vulnerable part. And not that the child should be listened to all the time, but I think that you can curate a really beautiful understanding and relationship with the child. And that can be a really cool, cool part. Because instead, what we're doing is we're, as you said, disowning this vulnerable part of ourselves. And when we when we shove that into our unconscious, it just gets stronger rather than um, bringing it into awareness where we can, where we can monitor it and address it and et cetera. Did that, I hope that answered your question.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, I think it's, I mean, it's, again, there's some similarities there, but what I heard you say is like getting in touch with the disowned child that may be present or, or certainly was present before, for many of the men before the the tumultuous, rocky waters of, you know, owning their sexuality and coming out and everything that comes along with that And of so returning to this place of yeah. reclaiming that innocence in, in some way and connecting to that child is incredibly important.
1: Yeah. And I'm having a little bit of another goosey moment because if you think about it, my child was documented on screen. So I, I feel really lucky that I get to see that pure innocence. And a lot of people related to it at a young age. So It's kind of like a cool full circle moment to be able to like, you know, that child that everyone was like, was like, uh, saw in the movie and, and thought was like fun to watch and cool that that's the same guy that was a resilient little bugger and put up all these protective things, you know? So it's, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I hear you. I have a, I have a photo. Hold on. It's usually on my desk, but it's not, not right now. I have a photo of me as like (laughs) a, you know, four or five year old having a bath in a, In a bucket. Yeah, like (laughs) with, you know, the little. (laughs) <laughs> little band aid on my knee, and it's just this reminder of like you know reconnecting with that child that I need to father, that I need to parent constantly. Yeah. Um. Because it, when he's in the driver's seat, it's just a shit show. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Brian, for this conversation. This was great, and I'm glad we got to dig in. I want to honor your time. We'll have to wrap up here. Yeah. Uh. For the people that are wanting to utilize your resources, um, we'll have some of the links in the show notes, but when where is the best place for them to go to learn more about your
1: work? Um, they can follow the Gay Life Coach on Instagram, or if they want to connect with me personally, I'm also on there as Brian Faldudo. And if you do identify as a gay man, I highly encourage you to come out, uh, check out the Gay Men's Mindfulness Collective on Facebook. It is a rapidly expanding um, place where I'm trying to move forward all the conversation that I just talked about. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, everyone that's listening and, and tuning
0: in. Don't forget to share this episode, man it forward and share with just one person or multiple that you know will benefit from, enjoy and appreciate this conversation. Don't forget to leave a rating and review. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off.